Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Somewhere along the way over these past couple of months, we as a podcast hit our 100th episode published, but when that episode was posted, I believe it was sometime during the college point, I did not get to have my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man I like doing this podcast with the most, Maxwell LeBauer with me on the line. He is here today. Maxie, how you doing? Dude, I haven't stopped smiling since we did that intro, and of course I better be the person you enjoyed doing this with the most because we started this shit. Which is just, it's crazy to think that it was what, I think Wimbledon two years ago, Chillich crying was like a huge moment for us. Yeah, that was like all the hype on tennis Twitter and the memes and just, yeah, that, that was one of our first little like gossipy GSP moments. And what great. a moment it was, the 100-yard dash, who would do best on the oh, SAT, yeah. all of those fun things. But in honor of episode 100, right off the bat, Westoff, I need fireworks, I need lion's roar, give me a little disco music, the fire sirens, and the train officially leaving the station, because yeah, Rothman, 100 episodes is pretty cool. I'm sad you, you didn't mention the, the Nadal Bachelor Salsa Spanish sex appeal, you know? Well, the thing I would Rafa? say, 100 episodes, Westoff, queued up. Not too bad. Not too bad. No, not too bad. Yeah, uh, but with that in mind, obviously, Max and I have, as we've mentioned, have not been able to get on this in too long. With the mini break being what it is, there's my plug for that. You know, it takes a lot of our time. We like to, you know, do that every day, do it well. And so in order to do that, this podcast not has sacrificed. We still had a lot of uh, stuff up here. but eh, with it's, the, it's sacrifice. No, not sacrifice. <laughs> but when you're doing a mini break every day, obviously when it's a major French Open Wimbledon so close uh, it's hard to get more than that obviously we have the Jonathan Kelly American State of the Union a ton of college tennis stuff as I mentioned with Chris Hallioris but getting back to our roots with this 100th episode meaning so much to us we figured you know again we're through Wimbledon it's now been over the halfway mark of the tennis calendar there are certain assumptions we had coming into the year we've now seen them play through and we thought enough data has been gathered we can review our favorite crop of tennis players in the professional world the next gen ATP players and give a little you know state of the union on their progress through 2019 talk about the, you know the top 10 seasons from that gr- group of guys talk about you know our tier rankings who's jumped up who's jumped down in terms of the long term prospects because max it you know, yes, they have. I know this is a big takeaway, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, throughout our conversation. None of them have won a major, but they have had a ton of incredible results throughout the 2019 ATP season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going through this exercise, first of all, just makes you realize how many young players are doing so well on the tour. Um, you know, it, it's funny because we have talked about so many different names this year. Uh, that, you know, while doing this, you kind of think, yeah, I kind of thought that there would be uh, some players that would be higher up on my list, but overall, it's just, it makes you appreciate the young talent we've got and, and kind of where we, the next set of, uh, you know, top teners, top 20ers uh, are going to be. So uh, it's it's fun, and I think everyone uh, will enjoy it. I, I would love to get some Twitter responses to your top 10 uh, 2019 seasons if uh, if you're willing to add us, so... 
uh, feel free to do that, anyone listening. And I'm glad you brought up that slew of results because there's a ton of to sift through. And before we get into our list, I just kind of want to list through the criteria you and I used because, <coughs> excuse me, as you mentioned, it was such a fun exercise doing this. And it really was because, as you mentioned, you know, from Ionic yeah, Sinner, the 17-year-old Italian, all the way through Alex Zverev at the top of the rankings. These guys and these next-gen players, who we should clarify next-gen for the finals, 21, me being, you know, both, I guess, a little selfish, a little egotistical, whatever it is. I like to judge the players who, like myself, are still under the age of 24, because to me, that means they haven't quite hit your prime. Once you're 24, you know, now you've been established. You've been on two or three, four, five years if you're at a high level. So at that point, you can no longer get by with next gen. But, you know, age clarity aside, the criteria we use, the best barometer of how these people have done in 2019, obviously based on how many points they've accumulated at tournaments, you find that out by looking at the standings in the ATP race to London. That, of course, an accumulation of all of their results. So ATP titles, semifinals, quarterfinals, masters results, results in slams, all of those obvious qualities. But looking beyond that, some of the things Max and I look at specifically, first round losses, you know, how consistent are you? If you've accumulated a bunch of those, what that shows us is, you know, the weeks and you have some great other results, we say, okay, those weeks you have it, but the consistency isn't there. For other players who maybe they win one, two rounds consistently, but there's no breakthrough results, is that a, a result, of, you know, our evidence of stagnation? Those are the sort of things uh, we had. And then ultimately, the most arbitrary, arbitrary category, expectations coming into the year. For Alex Virev, uh, just as an example, we expected, is this the year he's making quarterfinals at every slam? Is this the year he gets to his first Grand Slam finals? He's competing in the semifinals, finals of all of these Masters events, ready to take the leap after finishing 2018 with a year-end championship. Obviously, he hasn't done that, and that sort of failure to meet those standards, unfair or not, that what those standards are, that weighs in both of our minds. Uh, Rothman, did I miss anything there? No, I, I I don't think so. Um, I think you pretty much covered it all, actually. Any of those criteria topics most important to you? And I'm sure we'll see them throughout your list, but right off the bat? Yeah, I, I think consistency is a huge thing. Um, you know, we, we judge Federer a lot as being the greatest because of how consistent he's been over the years. Uh, and so that's at least something in my mind. If I'm seeing a lot of first-round losses with some, you know, big wins, that's, you know, ultimately not what we're looking for and uh you know yes we are looking for year over year growth uh but similar to that comment i just made about consistency if you're showing that you know similar to last year you're you know doing well making uh similar rounds of tournaments that you you did previously that that says something as well uh so just want to keep that so again and if you're doing 2019 seasons purely on points accumulated all you need to do is the atp race to london that's why i'm glad you made that point it is on a year-to-year basis that's expectations these are the top 10 seasons not only by the numbers but in our opinions that's what makes this a fun podcast but in the theme of a great shot podcast got to get a tangent in the first 10 minutes in a mini break with Matt Zemek this week, I made the comparison of Roger Federer to both the San Antonio Spurs and Tim Duncan in terms of that model of consistency. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
as far as a basketball comparison goes, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I think him and Tim have that similar demeanor. The uh, steadiness. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, calm, You know you're going to see them in the collected. Western Conference semifinals, finals, second Every week time. of the slam. Yep. I'm with you there. I like it. And then and then what? Is, is Djokovic like the Warriors or something? Honestly, Djokovic is Steph Curry in the way he revolutionized the game from behind the baseline. That's not a bad comparison either. But, of course, we're off the tracks early. All of that criteria <laughs> in mind because, as Max mentioned, there are a couple of guys who it's obvious you can't make this list without having them at the top. But we're going to do – go 1 to 10 so again our best seasons to our number 10 season and talk about the honorable mentions and the guys we left off at that point uh I'm sure we're going to talk about a ton of guys and as Maxie mentioned if you have any feedback if there's any guys we forget let us know because we would love to hear you know your thoughts on this next gen crop are you frustrated by the lack of per- or perceived lack of slam results are you okay with their progress we want to know but with that being said Max Rothman to set the scene for our number one selection. I think both of us, we and our, our listeners should know, we have not shared lists. There was a nice discussion about that because there was some stat sharing we wanted to do, but we said, nope, we cannot compromise the lists. I imagine at number one and number two, we have the same players, but I'm curious if we have the same combination. So your number one 2019 season from a next-gen ATP player is? Okay, before I say it, I just want to preface this. With it's sad that I've been talking about tennis with some people after all the Wimbledon hoopla with Federer and Djokovic, and this was a name that I mentioned, and people were like, who? And I'm like, all right, well, clearly you're just not a dedicated tennis fan. Uh, but, you know, not that there are that many people should, that are Should we do it at the fans. same time? I know that's a little corny, but like... Yeah, let's go. Okay. Ready? Dude, give us a countdown like it's for the microphone. Yeah. Tres, dos, uno... Tsitsipas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We agree here, but uh, you make the case. Let's – yeah. So, look. This is someone I think that a lot of people had high hopes for this year. Um, and I think he did well in the places that we expected him to do well. So, I think for the most part, people thought that he was going to potentially – get to a Masters final, maybe win one, uh, and he did that. He, he got to the finals in Madrid. Uh, yes, he lost to Djokovic, but had a great tournament. Uh, he beat Verdasco, he beat Manorino, he beat Zverev Nadal back-to-back. Uh, so I think that was kind of that breakthrough tournament people were looking for from Tsitsipas. I mean, he showed that he could go back-to-back and take down you know Zverev, Zverev and Nadal, uh, which was amazingly impressive. And then in Rome as well, uh, you know, played really well. Uh, Nadal gets his revenge in that semifinal, and yes, he did get a withdraw from Fed in the corner, so uh, somewhat of a, of a skewed result there, but I think that just goes to show his success at the Masters. You know, the rest of his Masters results, Miami and, and Monte Carlo and Indian Wells, a first, second, third round, you know, you expected to have some early round losses, but two titles on the year, one other final, and he's moved up to number six in the world. You know, he, he started the year at 15. He's, you know, number five in the race to London. He's very close to securing that spot. And uh, of all these next-gen guys, he, you know, has had the most success just flat out. So I'm, I'm going to give it to him. Felt a little bit like a race to give out every stat possible. And I agree. Like, do you look at the amount of stats <laughs> he looks at? No, I was just wondering, do you need to breathe? Um, 
But yeah, you, I do. you look at the context coming into this season, as you mentioned, he started the year at number 15. And, you know, we did see some good things from him last season at the Masters event. We saw him make that final in Canada at the Slams, a fourth round at Wimbledon, which is probably why this year's first round Wimbledon loss. Disappointing. Uh, yeah, so disappointing. But, you know, he made the fourth round, two second rounds, French Open, U.S. Open, a first round at Australia. But those were his third through sixth attempts at a Slam. So I think the thing all of us were looking for coming into this season is okay we've seen one level of baseline you know he solidified himself in the top 20 to do that it requires winning titles at the 250 level showing up and winning matches at the 500 masters levels event you can't just get into those draws and get rolled over by top 50 players and coming into this season I would say it's even can he sustain that I don't think anyone expected for him to come out of the gates this season the way he did win or not win but win or win not win the tournament but win his quarterfinal match in Australia against Roger Federer a guy because of their flair because of their one-handed backhands I'm sure he's been compared to many times in his life and for him to come out and get that result but not only do that but back it up uh, immediately after with a 250 title in Marseille and we've criticized does he play too much during the year but you want to know how he's made that jump to number six in the rankings and why he's sitting pretty and number five in the next gen race to London that's why it's because he made that jump as you mentioned the Masters final and semi-final two round of 16s he brings it now week in week out in the tour and not only brings it but can be expected to compete into second weeks yeah and and I think the other thing to look at are just some of the people that he's beating consistently I think amongst all of these next gens uh, you know we're we're seeing a, a good win here a good win there uh, but in, in every one of these tournaments we're seeing you know consistent results against guys like Amon Fis, uh, you know guys like I mean, Baratini's yeah Baratini FAA uh, you know he's he's beating guys like Gofen, who's beaten. As I was doing this, you know, exercise, realized Gofen's beaten like half of these next gen guys at least once. Um, you know, he's beating guys like that, and I think that goes to show the consistency that we're seeing with Tsitsipas, uh, and, and also just being able to go, you know, back to back weeks uh, like a his run in Madrid to Rome. So again, I love his consistency. Uh, he started off the year super hot at Australia. And I think that set expectations for the year. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that he's kind of met them, you know, taking out fed and RBA and Berrettini in that Australian open, all of his results, all of his losses too have been, you know, solid losses in my opinion. I, I agree. And on that note, the, the stat that stuck out, stuck out to me, why he's number one on this list, not only the best slam result with that Australian Open semifinal, obviously a breakthrough moment, him, Chung, Edmund, the only guys recently to have done it at that age, but only four first-round losses to, for Tsitsipas. And for a guy who plays as often as he does, that's pretty impressive. And now... As you mentioned. And not bad first-round losses. Yeah. He loses to Dujmer. He loses to FAA, to, to Yeri, to Fabiano. Like, not bad losses. I mean, well, Fabiano. The, the Fabiano one's not great, although you have to wonder the wear and tear coming into that Wimbledon. He didn't get to—he played, what, one, maybe two warm-up events, and 
think yeah. just given how few experiences he has on the grass. Yeah, the first round result loss at Wimbledon was disappointing. But again, you look at the Grand Slam results, that round of 16 match against Stan, he lost a thriller in five sets. He was right there for the second. he could have had yeah. that. And it was, the sec- yeah. it was the second slam in a row, right? So for Zverev, yeah, he makes uh, quarterfinals at the French Open, but he does nothing in the slams before, you know, immediately after that. For Tsitsipas, yeah, he lost first round at Wimbledon, but he backed it up early in the season, and that's the sort of jump that you're just waiting for one of these next-gen guys to make. And yeah, Wimbledon first round loss. I'm sure if we had done this podcast before Wimbledon, he's even higher, and you know that sort of dampens the mood a little bit. But this guy has had, in my opinion, objectively the best season of any next-gen player. And I know you agree with me, but for people who would make the case for FAA, we both have him at number two. Let's start with why he is as high as he is. Well, I think the first thing you just look at, his ranking jumped from 108 to 23. I think that is the largest jump um, of any of the guys in this and, span. And not to cut you off, but not even large, uh, but just the significance of it, right? You're outside right. the top 100 fighting for entrances into main draws. Now you're getting into every event you want to sign up for. Yeah, and you know, part of me was very, very close to putting him above Tsitsipas uh, purely because the kid is 18 years yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. Mean, he, he was 17 last season and, you know, kind of just making his way. And so... Pretty much everything to this point is improvement for FAA. There, it's not really like there's stuff from last season where uh, we're looking for consistency. It is all improvement, and so that is you know a huge factor in all this. But the improvement is just wild. And the, I, wa- you know, I want to well, I want to get into the stats, but real quick to finish this CTPAS FAA portion, we talk about expectations coming into the year, and this isn't to play anything against FAA, but. Like you and I, who have followed tennis as closely as we do, everyone knew the FAA storm was coming. You saw glimpses of it last year in Canada at uh, Indian Wells early in the year, just at the U.S. Open last year uh, in the run-up to that. But, you know, he had injury problems. He didn't get to play a full season. Everyone just expects he plays a full season. He'll get into the top 50. For him to get to number 21 obviously exceeds everyone's wildest expectations. But what Tsitsipas did getting to a slam semifinal, uh, just that jump from top 15 to number 5 overall on the year in terms of points accumulated, that is the hardest jump to make in tennis. And that's why I have Tsitsipas' season slightly valued above FAA's. Yeah, and and I'm with you there. I mean, to get in, if I can get into the stats now, I, there's a few things where I think you can make the case for him to be number one. Um, he they both have two titles. They but FAA has made three finals besides that, um, compared to to Passes one. One other one, uh, so I think three titles know, or three finals. FAA three finals, no title. Uh, no, no. FAA has. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, FAA has three finals. Yes, excuse me, m- m- misstated. Um, but the other thing that is, I think, kind of worth noting, considering we are comparing the two, FAA two wins over Pass this season. Uh, no, I know that's just you know, that's not part of our criteria, uh, but does does say something. 
Uh, the other thing that I love is only three first round losses for FA this season. So, so uh, I again, I, in my first round losses, I cheated a little bit. I included qualifying losses as well. You did that, okay? That, yeah, that gets FA's total up to five. Which again, I'm five, not trying yeah. to disagree with you, but that that was one of my cases. But you brought up that head to head. I did not consider that. That's a fascinating point. I mean, again. The stylistic matchup, just because FAA has weapons, he can hurt Tsitsipas, take the ball away from him, uh, take away chances in a way not many other players can. But it is fascinating that FAA it just has had the, you know, early on in their career has seemed to have, I think he's what, 5-0 and including junior career. He has Tsitsipas' mm-hmm. number. He does, he does. And Tsitsipas has even said that. He, I mean, there was an interview, I think, after uh, his second match with him. He's like he's a tough player, and I have uh, you know a lot to learn before I can go out and beat him. Which uh, you know high praise from from CC Foss, but uh, I I do think it's kind of interesting that he's he's unable to figure him out up to this point. But yeah, and the again, thing the, the thing that I think is I was just say the most disappointing I think from FAA were just his uh, you know his inability to play French Open that, that huge bummer, and I think that that's something where I don't I'm, his clay season I thought could have been you know, fantastic. Uh, and he, that could have been a tournament where he makes a third or fourth round. I think that could make the difference in his first and second spot with uh, CC Post. And look, for Felix at the majors, yeah, he's played one main draw. And in that main, or he's played two main draws. And in that main draw, he made the third round, had a very winnable match against Umbert that he lost in straight sets. I'm sure he's, you know, kicking himself over that one. Loses second round Australian Open qualies to Chris Eubanks. Again, given the context, I'm sure he's kicking himself in the shins for that one. But it's all excusable because he's 18 years old. He's made three ATP finals this year, a semifinal at the Miami Masters through qualifying. Obviously, that run special. Uh, you uh, oh. you look at uh, his other Masters results, round of 16, Barcelona, wins matches in Monte Carlo and Indian Wells. I mean, for an 18-year-old, he's doing what Tsitsipas did last season. We're just also thrilled by him because he's beaten Tsitsipas two times along the way. Yeah, and you know, I think it's it's funny because we were gonna do this podcast pre grass season, uh, and it would have made a difference. I mean, you look at his run just before Wimbledon, his last tournament after Rome, um, you know, prior to French Open, he plays Lyon and, and loses in the finals to Benoit. We all thought that that he was gonna get his first title there, uh, and then he goes and plays Stuttgart and London back to back. You know, makes a final in Stuttgart, loses to Berrettini. And then makes a semifinal in London. So, you know, like you said, he's had a great last few tournaments. Also, uh, you know, I, I'm really curious if he's going to keep up this uh, these results for the rest of this season. But that right away just makes him in this. this I had, I had no idea we were going to try and do this pod before Wimbledon. First time I've heard about it. No, I'm just I'm just giving you a hot <laughs> time. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the cases for one and two pretty obvious. Let's get to the fun stuff now. This is where we're really going to start diverging paths. So, Max Rothman, your number three next-gen ATP season of 2019 goes to... Can I I let you take a guess? I mean, I see, because Uh, of the smile on your face and something you said, I feel like there could be a Nick Kyrgios answer here, in which case we should just stop the podcast. But... (laughs) Are you serious? Wait, I, no, it's not Nick Curios. Oh, okay. It's not. Um, I mean, I know my number three. Do we want? No, no. no I, all right, I'll guess. It can't be. 
I mean, I don't want to give away my list, so no, I'm not guessing. Tell me. Also, I did. Nikirios is 24. He's not in, in my list. I appreciate you saying that, but I just feel like you could have spiced it up, maybe in your tears. Um, but all right, your number three player. Enough beating around the bush. Matteo Berrettini. Okay, so I have Berrettini number four. So I don't think yeah. that's a crazy take at all. But it's, it's not. But I just don't think I didn't expect you to think that I was going to choose that. Can I guess then? Is your three Christian Garen? It is not Christian Garen, and I'll get to my number three in a second. But let's make the don't case. Don't tell for me you picked Zverev. No, okay. we'll, we'll get to it. But let's make the case for Matteo Berrettini first. Begins yeah. the year number fifty-four. Not a guy a lot of players had heard of. Obviously, he comes into the year I think twenty-two, turned twenty-three earlier this year. Maybe he turns twenty-three later in the year. But I'm pretty sure he's a nineteen ninety-sixer. And for him to put together, you know, he threw the Australian Open not much. He loses first round to Tsitsipas there, which, again, with context, great loss in retrospect. But since that moment, he is number 12 overall in the ATP race to London. He's got two titles to his name, plus a challenger title. <coughs> a challenger title, excuse me. Uh, he's done it on different surfaces. He's made finals, semifinals. He has done so so much this season. And then he makes the Wimbledon fourth round. You're just like, it's the real deal. Right. And, you know, again, someone who moved up my list post-Wimbledon, of course, you have to, uh, considering his results there. But, yeah, he's 29-14 and 14 on the season with two titles, like you said. And, again, one of these guys where, compared to last season, just what a jump he made. Uh, yes, started the season at 54, moves up 30 spots. I see that face. Well, here's the thing. I guess for Berrettini, I, I was going to make a, a poor joke. That's why I made a face. Is he was number three on my list, and then Fed blew him out. So I had to dock him a spot after that performance. What? Uh, but no, that was a joke. That like, is I said, like I said, yeah. Westoff, give me a drum beat, please. Um, but yeah, my, the thing that also made me make a face is you talk about the jump. It's just we talked about jumps for FAA. This is that same sort of jump, right, where Berrettini goes from stable myself in the top 100, which may be a step above where FAA was coming into the year, but now it's establish myself, make those sort of breakthrough runs. And, yeah, you talk about wins he has, three wins over Kachanov, a win over RBA, who's been one of the hottest players this season, Zverev, Kyrgios, FAA, Schwartzman, you know, Puy. He's beaten all of them, and it's not just on one surface. It's on multiple surfaces. That power game he's displayed, just his athleticism, his strength, his seem to just want to crush every ball with the passion of a thousand suns. It's working. <laughs> the passion of a thousand suns. I'm That's feeling good. metaphorical um, tonight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but look, you're you're right. Like, it, I that was the thing that I think put me put him. Uh, at number three for me are just a lot of the wins he's had. You know, he, he's beaten Schwartzman, he's beaten Kachanov, he beat FAA, he's beaten Kachanov actually twice. Uh, he, I mean, the the run at Stuttgart was just fantastic. The Kyrgios to Kachanov to Kudla to Struff to FAA. I mean, what a freaking tournament! Uh, and you know, considering you know the big game that he does have, I, I think the surface does uh, fit well for him, but. It's still just just so impressive, you know. His run at in Munich too. Uh, he's beating guys kind of like we were talking about with Tsitsipas. You know, you want to see him with comfortable wins against guys that are in that thirty to fifty range, and he had them all season long. Considering he played four challengers last season, uh, you know, this guy has really really improved his level. I completely agree with you, and we could spend time nitpicking. You know, he's a little stiff. 
There's only one speed. It's Berrettini speed, yeah. and that's full speed. But that being said, and I meant to do this for the earlier players as well, to give some context, because as I said, the the most natural way to test these players 2019 season, use that ATP race to London standings. For our number one player, Tsitsipas, he's number one of the 24 and unders, number five overall, 2,995 points accumulated. FAA, number four overall of the next gen, 1481. We talked about why his jump this season factors into how we have him number two. I would say that stat uh, sort of backs that sort of uh, calculus up. Matteo Berrettini, Number five overall of these next-gen players in terms of just the, the 24 and unders. Number 12 overall in terms of the entire ATP Tour, 1,410 points accumulated. I mean, yeah, he is top 12 on the season in terms of points accumulated. For a guy who came in ranked uh, above the top 50, that's a f***ing jump. Like, that's a jump and a half. So I have no qualms with you having him as high as you do. The guy I have b- above him to make my transition and make the case, the guy who is number two overall for all of the next-gen players with 1,855 points accumulated, a guy who at one point was 1-2 and two with Tsitsipas in terms of leading the ATP Tour and wins, Daniil Medvedev. And I just think, you know, looking yeah. at making the case for Medvedev, you look at his season in context, Yes, Berrettini's got those two titles, and I'm not sure if we mentioned it, 29 and 14 overall on the year. Medvedev, 30 and 14 overall on the year, so it's stupid, but it's one win, but starts the year ranked number 16, makes that jump into the top 10, but number eight, as I mentioned, overall in the ATP race to London, so he's put himself into position to make the year-end championships only one final on the season, but you look at it, again, the consistency. He's got five first-round losses for Berrettini. He's got six first-round losses, but we should say four of them came before Indian Wells. So if you were to fragment the season, I suppose you could make the case that Indian Wells, since uh, Berrettini's been better, but prior to Indian Wells, again, Tsitsipas Medvedev, I would argue two of the best five players through the first quarter of the ATP season, and that sort of stretched that dominance. He lost to Djokovic in that I think it was a fourth round match in Australia but I've said it multiple times that was one of my favorite four set losses and matches of the season I just think with Daniil Medvedev on hard courts now you know exactly what you're going to get and that's a player who over the next 10 years is going to be very very hard to beat and while Berrettini again two titles not trying to take anything away from him that is an accomplishment but it just feels not a little less real but it just feels like he played so well during that stretch versus Medvedev where I now know exactly what the floor is and I'm not sure about that with Berrettini yeah and that's fair and so you know funny enough I do have Medvedev next the the reason I gave Medvedev the knock was his success last year I mean he did have three titles last year um, you know, looking at some of his results, I mean, they're they're just they're really impressive, uh, especially the end of his year. You know, he he gets to a semifinals in Basel, he gets to a semifinals in Moscow, uh, he wins Tokyo, and and had you know really great results there, being ran at Chapo and Nishi back to back to back. So I mean, it was one of those things where you got to look at. Yes, he's higher in the race, but. It, again, it's improvement, and this is uh, still. I think this season is improvement. He was uh, he was the he had the most wins up until was it French? Was that the uh, I, right the around then? But can, can I not to cut you off? Can I add on that improvement thread because that's exactly yeah. where I was going next? Why Medvedev for me above Berrettini? Yes, 
two to one for Berrettini in ter- terms of title counts. Plus, he's made that additional final plus the semifinals, uh, which I think he's got a few. Uh, but no, no, I, I so even with those semifinals, let's look at what Daniil Medvedev's done this season at higher level events. Daniil Medvedev semifinals in Monte Carlo. He came into 2019 with one professional win on clay. That's a jump. London, semifinals. Rotterdam, semifinals. Brisbane at the beginning of the season, final. Barcelona, again on clay, final, and he lost to team. Yes, you know, he's only made a round of 16 at the Australian Open, and that first round loss at Roland Garros to Air Bear, not what you love. But I mean, (laughs) funny note, but on my uh, rankings in terms of best wins for Medvedev, I have that Andy Murray win on my list, which just funny little joke for me. Uh, Yeah. Uh Um, but he's it's just it's the consistency of players I mean, he's beaten. That, right. That I mean that tournament is is clear example of the consistency. He beat yes, he beat Murray, but then he goes and beats Ranich and then Songa. Mm-hmm. And then has a great match with Nishi in the final. Again, so is it outlandish for me to say, and this is a this is why I have him number three, because there's a portion of the year, again, first quarter is what we seem to agree on, where he was a, a top five player on tour week in, week out, and that includes two fifties and five hundreds, but it means something. Right. I mean, I think after Monte Carlo, uh, he had a little dip, and that was when we were like, wait, what What happened? Where is this, you know, top five guy, whatever, that, that we've been seeing? We were, we were looking at losses as upsets uh, because he had really established himself as that kind of guy. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that's a fair way to assess him at that point. Uh, but, you know, he he's had a little bit of a struggle uh, since then, you know. Post Barcelona loses first round of Madrid, then first round of Rome, then first round of French Open, then first round of Stuttgart. So, uh, you know, had a, a bit of a, a pickup once we got to the grass season, but, uh, you know, there was a little rough patch there. Yeah, and Medvedev had his rough, rough patch too, right? Through Indian Wells, through Miami, first round losses, lost first round Monte Carlo. Uh, or maybe not first round Monte Carlo. I might have lost that wrong. Uh, he did lose. No, for, he, no that was right. Monty Medvedev? No, no, yeah, sorry, I was talking Berrettini. Um, no, yeah, that was, was right say, for Berrettini. Medvedev, no, that was, yes. you're right, that was the Berrettini streak. But for Medvedev, look, he didn't do great for a period there on the clay. Yeah, he's got that Barcelona final, and he's got the Monte Carlo semifinal, but Madrid-Rome first-round losses, I mean, that's not great. And But still, we've seen a jump from Medvedev, enough of a jump to where I think him being in the top 10 not a product of the old guys not playing as much, but simply a product of him being that good week in, week out. And that's the sort of yeah. jump, again, I keep saying, that's the one I appreciate the most. This is my own personal bias. But I, getting back to your list, and maybe this is why we, again, it's crazy that we didn't look at each other's list. We've got the same players on the top four. We said, we figured the top six pretty obvious. So that being said, any more on these guys? Are you ready to move on to number five? I say we go to number five. And and I'm curious, is Zverev your five? Zverev is not my five. I don't want to. I don't want to do the Zverev thing now. Yeah, save it for when it's time. Um, I'm just. I, I just. I'm impressed that you're you're keeping him this far down. My cause... lists have integrity. You know that. I'm not going to make a <laughs> list lightly. My lists are forever. Look, I thought your personal your personal hard on for Zverev. How might about this? Keep him. I send my list. <laughs> that's a good point. But I send my list to Westoff. Sometimes he publishes them. Let's have him publish both of our lo- you know our thinking. Have our see our stats i feel like that could be a good article to go along with this sure all right we'll put it on but that that being said again i think we're gonna agree on this guy max rothman your number five player 
Christian Garen. Ah, see, again, some of because we said we're not going to stick to the stats, but there are certain things for Christian Garen, and here's how we're going to get into it. You know, he's number 84 to begin this season. He has jumped to number 37. You look at the ATP race to London, he is number 28th overall, 882 points accumulated. Where that puts him on the next-gen rankings, Garen comes in at number 9. Oh, no, 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 not number. No, 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 it is number 9. I think I updated all these. Yeah, number 9 of these next-gen crew but the big thing you keep circling back to two ATP titles this season uh yes Christian Guerin a former junior French Open champion but a guy who had really you know kind of uh, mellowed out his first two years transitioning to the tour to for him to make that jump he did through the South American and clay stretch I mean it was something remarkable and then to throw on top of that uh, you look at what he's done just as some of his wins, his stretch, you know, he beats FAA, Munar, Rude, uh, Shapovalov, Zverev, Berrettini, Opelka, Cecinato, uh, not Cecinato, I messed him up with Berrettini, that's my bad, but those are the next-gen peers he's competing with right now. Right, and, you know, he had somewhat of a slow start to the season, I think, if you had said, you know, from... Seven first-round losses. Open... Right, and, and, you know, he... He loses. He's losing in qualifying in both Brisbane and Sydney, leading up to Australian Open. Lose gets absolutely smacked by Gofen, and you know here's another one of those Gofen wins. They they come up all over these next gen <laughs> guys, um, but then he slowly starts to pick it up. I mean, it, he is obviously Sao Paulo is his first kind of big run where he makes the finals there, uh, and and again really good wins against Munar there against Rude, like you said, uh, and pretty much from there he's just stayed consistent yeah there's a first round loss here and there to uh some guys but overall has really improved as the season has gone you know the grass season as short as it was wasn't great to him uh, you know tough first rounds marin chilich at london and then rublev first round of wimbledon is not easy uh but for the rest of this season has just been great 22 and 11 on the year is not a ton of matches, but for a guy who's making the sort of breakthrough he is, that's fine. You can sort of rest on those early points, make your runs in late, you know, with Cincinnati Rogers Cup. There's two Masters events for you there, plus the U.S. Open. He's got a ton of time to accumulate, a ton of points to protect himself in the early parts of next season. But this was a guy a ton of players were talking about, or a ton of players, a ton of media members were talking about looking into the French Open as a guy who could do serious damage. And yeah, he lost second round to Stan Wawrinka. Stan Wawrinka, of course, ends up making the quarterfinals of that tournament, so we know how well he played there. Um, And if I'm being honest, in the context of this list, seasons one through four were all, I don't want to say exceptional, but they were all, you know, somewhere between great and exceptional. Once you start getting yeah. to season, you know, to these seasons five through ten, some of them are very good, some of them are good, some of them are acceptable, which you know okay. may get you yeah. on the list if your level of acceptability is just high enough. Uh, and for Christian Guerin, he's in that by you know again expectations coming into the year. This is a very very good start for him on the season. You can see the pieces coming together of what his career looks like, how steady he is on the clay, his uh, on his ability to change direction, his ability to move as well as he does, use the forehand as a weapon and no fear following it in. Uh you know, we haven't talked a ton tactically about these players, but given 
I don't want to say how little we knew because, again, former Junior Slam champion, we saw this from him. Given that we hadn't seen this streak of titles, it's like what Medvedev did early on last season. It's the sort of things you have to do to elevate your way up the tour rankings. Yeah, and and the thing that I want to just point out about him before we move forward, his season last year was almost entirely challengers. You know, yeah. he he played qualifying. Of, he actually got through qualifying of Wimbledon. Uh, he didn't get through qualifying of Roland Garros. I don't I don't even think he played Australian Open. No, he started off 2018 with a futures wins three challengers makes three other finals in challengers he just dominated the challenger scene and so i think to be able to take that success into the next level which he's done this year that has been the most impressive part completely agree with you it gets back to that's a jump when you see that that is a jump in level and that confidence. this was the definition this could be the best jump yeah this was i completely agree with you and look he played first round qualifying at miami but beyond that he hasn't played any of the masters he played you know three main draws and slams won one match seven first round losses there's still a lot for us to learn about this guy on other surfaces beyond clay but he's put himself in a position to be seen these next six months. And that, as you mentioned, is the sort of jump we are looking for. But that being said, I know I've been saying this a lot, but I feel like this is where the real spice begins because six, we I'd say 75% chance we agree, seven through 10 will be a free-for-all. So Max Rothman, your number six ATP next-gen season goes to... Zverev. Really? So we're doing yeah. this now. All right, I'm gonna, I, I uh, let, me, let me come out and say you're going to be shocked by this. Alex Zverev, not in my Wait. top 10. Oh, see, okay, I really debate and this is where Context the, is key. That's all we've talked about I know, this first hour. I know, I know, and, and that was my, my problem. I, was, I seriously was either going to put him like right here or not at all. I'll give you that, a mulligan. What, I'll give you a mulligan. Do you want to take him out? Because I have a lot of thoughts on him, but I would like to share yeah. them in the context of my number 10 player. So I'm going to, I'm, you know, it's our hundredth episode. We've earned some slack. You want to take him out of your list and move everyone up one? Yeah, I, I could do that. I'm down. And I'm not trying to be rude or disrespect. Again, no, these no, lists it, demand it, integrity. And first of all, first time, 100 episodes, Great Shot Podcast history. I had the gumption to do something with Alex Vera that Max Rothman did not. So, hey, great shot to me. Um, but, all right, Zvira aside, that's acceptable to you? Because I know what you're thinking, but I want to hold that thought. So let's— Yeah, we, we can do that. So you're moving everyone up. No, your number six goes to— Wait, 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 wait. Before okay, you so, do that, Westoff, give me a little rewind, please. Okay, so the the problem is, before I do this, is that I told you before the podcast, my 7 through 10 really could interchange. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're talking. Which, which makes it, like, you're going to have to, you're going next, by the way. You're starting uh, on the next. I'll start this one. Uh, my number. Do you want to do a 3-2? Can we do a 3-2-1? I'm down. 3. All right. Oh, sorry. To no, no, no. Podcast format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tres, dos, uno. Taylor, Taylor Fritz. Fritz. Yes! I thought... Zverev really shocked me, by the way. Great take so, by you. I don't hate it, but I agree with you. I, I, we'll get to that context later. I think Taylor Fritz... Had we done this French this before the or after the French Open but before Wimbledon, he is the single yeah. biggest winner of the fact that we are doing this when we are now. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, first of all, gets his first title ATP town. title. That's everything. First, first title in Eastburn, and not not an easy one either. He takes out Pea, Hercotch, Edmund, and Query in what was honestly great tennis. He only loses one set to Guido in that second round, and just looked exceptional. It sucks because. I think I, I well first of all I put money on his second round against Struff. I really thought he was gonna win that second round against Struff and Wimbledon, uh, considering how good he looked. And you know that's not to take any credit away from him. He played good tennis. Struff did too. He beats Burdich in that first round in straight sets, which I actually think is a great win, uh, considering Burdich's past. That's the kind of thing that can get into your head mentally. So I love to see that he was strong enough to go out and, and you know play his big game, but. Other than that, you know, he's just had really good, consistent success again this year. I mean, he he does really well, I think, uh, better than a lot of these other guys in the Masters. No, he didn't. And what's weird is he did that on the clay. That was what was so weird. His his hardcore Masters, Miami and IW. <laughs> IW. Who am I? <laughs> That's your home First tournament. round losses. Right. First round losses to Stevie and Martyrer, which are just... It's strange and loses, you know, first round to Mackie and Delray beforehand. So the clay, I think, his success there is what also put him in that seven spot to have that success on a surface that I think a lot of people said no chance. And for Taylor Fritz, you know, begins the year ranked number 50. He's up to number 30, 25th overall in the race to London, 960 points accumulated. You look at him in comparison to these next gen guys. We said Christian Guerin, number nine, Taylor Fritz, number eight. So, of course, the question, why Guerin over Fritz? You could put it to things as simply as Guerin got two titles, Fritz got one. Guerin's stretch of dominance, I think he made another final on top of that. Um, Yeah, he lost the final in Sao Paulo. He was just so good on that run on the clay. But for Taylor Fritz and why I would listen to a case of him over Christian Guerin, because, again, the margins start getting thinner and thinner, you throw this title now into the mix and you talk about what he did on the clay. And it's not that he won a ton of matches, but he went to Europe. He embraced the struggle that is red clay. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, so I don't need to go on length. But he did well enough, as you mentioned, result-wise to validate his decision to go there. You look at his slam results, no first-round losses. That, to me, sometimes the luck of the draw, you didn't draw a big seat. But also, he's getting wins in a three-out-of-five set format. That's not something that he can can't do you know third round Australia loses to Fed fine second round loses to RBA at Roland Garros fine loses second round to Struff on paper you'd like him to win that but watch that match and that was just a hard hitting you know grass court tennis match plus he beats eventual quarterfinalist Sam Query the week before to get his first ATP title Mm -hmm. do I give away the next guy on my list no, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, go first. Oh, well, yeah, okay, so the guy I have below— Well, so I guess let's first address why I have him below Garen. I, or I think I kind of did that, right? The two titles, the run of dominance from Garen on clay, yeah. more impressive than any run Fritz has had. And when the margins are so thin as they are, as I mentioned, Fritz number eight, Garen number nine, I think it's, what, 960 minus, eight, you know, 78 points between them. That's a good week on yeah. at a 250. Um, the margins are thin. But for Taylor Fritz, why I have him number six and above my number seven player, Francis Tiafo, he has come in week in, week out. You know, seven first round losses for Fritz, not great. But again, you know, uh, actually, some of them are very not great. But at the biggest events, at the Masters, 
bad Indian Wells, bad Miami. The rebound he showed and then to get the title on grass, though, that's the sort of overcoming a rough stretch that for a young player, that's the first sign of, okay, they have sticking power, right? They might last in the top 50, not just play one great streak of tennis and then Ernesto Escobedo on us. So, <laughs> Escobedo. That was harsh. So, I love Ernesto. It's just, I know. It's, it came from it, a place it's of harsh, hurt. but it, yeah. I know. It's sad, dude. Oh, dude. That's not in my top 10. Him? Yeah, no. Not even. Oh, my God. Um, so, it, it's funny. So, Tiafo. So, I guess I'll give away my next two. It, it leads me into this discussion. Um, Tiafo, I actually have just below Hercotch. And so I have Hercotch as my next one. Is that switched for you? Yeah. <laughs> God it damn is. it. No, it's good. It means we're both coming from yeah, a logical no. place. It means you did your homework. Right. Yes. So, Not that I did so mine. It means you did yours. Yeah, that's sad. Right, totally. <laughs> um, so here's here's why I put Hercotch over Tiafo. Um, I think it's the consistency thing. And, and I do think that there was a little bit of a higher expectation for Tiafo going into this season exactly uh, exactly which is what i'll get to when it's in, but sorry go on i completely agree so i i think pretty much since tiafo's quarterfinal run at australian open it's been a so-so season he, uh, good success at miami getting to that quarterfinal and i, and I think you know it's a bummer because that's a match he should have beaten chapeau um and then you know the, the like I said the rest of the season's been kind of okay you know he makes a round of 16 at Madrid which was good you know uh, loses on, to Nadal in that round of 16 which is a fine loss but uh you know he loses to Cuevas in the quarters of Estero which is a match that at this point in in his career I think he should be winning I don't think that's a that's the kind of match he shouldn't lose uh he loses first round he, he's got a bunch of first round losses which I think is the hardest part for me with him you know Loses first round of New York Open to Jason Jung. Next tournament to Daniel Evans and Del Rey. Loses second round to Mackey in the next round. And I know it's somewhat of a psychological matchup. Well, There's just too many matches where I think they they were expected of him to win. And I agree. Again, we talked about expectations coming into the year versus now. For Fritz, why I think he's definitively above Tiafo and Hercatch. And we can then move on from them. But it's because for Fritz, 25th overall, 960 points accumulated. You know, he is over 180 points above both Tiafo, who's number 39 overall, and Hercatch, who's number 41 overall. That, to me, was enough, given how thin the margins are, given that he got that ATP title that Tiafo got last season. Just enough for me to give the bump to Fritz over both of those guys. Uh, but now you start talking about Francis Tiafo and why I have him over Hubert Hercatch. Even with Fritz, you talk about the best individual run between those three guys. You can't argue for anything other than Francis Tiafo beating Kevin Anderson, making the Australian Open quarterfinal, and losing to Nadal right, the way I he know. did. That was that was the best individual match. That's one but tournament. This is why. Let me get to back Fritz uh, Tiafo Hercatch. Fritz, seven first-round losses. Tiafo, eight first-rounder qualifying losses. Hercatch, nine first-rounder qualifying losses. It's those little things like that. All of these guys, when you start to drop down, and I should say for Christian Gary, he is, how many, seven first-round losses, so again, a little bit better. It's this consistency week in, week out for Francis Tiafo. That opening stretch he had after the Australian Open through uh, Delray, Acapulco, I think even Indian Wells. I don't think he lost first round, but I don't think he did very well. Um, 
yeah, it it was a really rough New York Open. I didn't mention that against Jason Jung. It was a really yeah. rough stretch for him, and it was Tiafo had that same sort of stretch where he lost. I think it was like seven of eight matches in the middle of last season as well, like up to Toronto. And it's just it's nerve wracking because sometimes for Francis Tiafo, uh, it just doesn't work. But I wanted to add of and I have on his list one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bad losses. Of the seven, five of them were in three sets. One of them, seven, six in the third. He He's had a ton of chances in his matches. That Cuevas loss you mentioned, that was another three-set match. Uh, to make the Miami Open quarterfinal, again, a Masters quarterfinal, that's a big result. But just he's all over the map, and that's why he couldn't make the case for him being over Fritz. Because I think I kind of know what I'm going to get from Fritz week in, week out. Good serving. You know, he's going to attack. He's not going to move that fast, but he's going to move his hardest. Uh, but versus Francis, you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, right, Francis is a little bit more of a wild card. And and to be honest, I, I think that's part of why I – I mean, part of the reason that I put uh, Hercotch over him. But I also think that Hercotch had some better wins this season. I mean, if you look at his Indian Wells, he beats Pui Nishikori Shapo back-to-back-to-back. Those are That's a huge back-to-back-to-back results. Uh, he beats Nishi in the tournament before that in Dubai and goes three sets with Tsitsipas. Uh, in a match that he probably could have won. And then the other thing that I think is worth noting about Hercotch is that he was playing challengers the beginning of the season. So again, it's that disparity between but, being able to go from that level to this level. Here's the thing. Are we going to hold against Francis Tiafo though, that he was not playing challengers? No. And here's why Here's no. why I bring it up, because I get what you're, cause we've talked about the jump. But it's still and that a jump. Sounds, no, I agree. Right. But for me, Miami Open quarterfinals, Australian Open quarterfinals— it hasn't been a consistent year, but there have been enough signs of life from Francis. He's may have managed to you know stabilize himself inside the top fifty despite an up and down season. Not a jump, but this is my first guy hold steady, maybe a little bit better because I've seen the goods from him now. I know three out of five sets. This is not a guy I want to play. And you look at his grand slams for T, and this is where I think he differentiates from Hercatch. Why I have him a little bit higher because the ceiling's been higher. That quarterfinal in Australia, yes, he loses first round Roland Garros in five sets to Krajanovic. Yes, he loses first round of Wimbledon in five sets against Fognini. So many opportunities for Francis this season, and a lot of times it hasn't clicked, but the times it has, it's looked special. Now, to transition to Hubie Hercatch, who, as you mentioned, has had an incredible year on his own, number 88 to number 44, 41 overall, 735 points accumulated. You look at him in the live ranks amongst next-gen players. Tiafo's number 12 overall in terms of next-gen guys uh, for the race to London. Hercatch, number 13, so again, a little bit. A little thing not to skew you in favor of my argument, though it's, you know, what is it, uh, 45 points between them. That's nothing. Um, But I just, I value seeing them do it at, maybe it's because I'm so slam deprived for the next gen guys. I value seeing them do it at the slams at the Masters. And yeah, Hubie has the one good Masters run, that Indian Wells quarterfinal. I guess the Madrid round of 16, not too bad. Uh, He looked good in a Wimbledon third round, but like, the guy still hasn't won an ATP title, and this isn't holding against him. He's so young, but Francis has. Uh, I guess I've just seen enough from Francis this season with the big results that I have him slightly above Hubie. Yeah, and... Because, like, the best um, wins... Who? What win for her catch other than the team win? I guess the two Nishikori. See, it's tough. It really is tough. Uh, and a, and a Chapeau. 
Yeah. And a Berrettini. But some of the losses, yeah. though, that's what I hold against him. Barrera at the challenger level. Golbis, Balas, Mulliker, Sosa. Right. It's not and, the team. And I think that's just... And I think that's where some of those little challenger results... It's a, those, to me, are like the... Well, he the cha- a, he gets the a little slappy sometimes. He, he does. When he he's does. patient... Again, he got an Andy Murray comparison uh, throughout Wimbledon when he's playing Djokovic, I'm sure. Hmm. Uh, given how many people were doing that, that's you know a hefty comparison. And you see all the weapons, the tools, someone 6'6", six, six, who can move the way he can, obviously special. Um, but I don't know. I guess I just... I've made my case for Tiafo. I see your case for her catch. I guess any thought, any last thoughts on him? No, I I, I kind of just want to hear your next one because I gave you my next. I don't think I have. Oh no, I, I we we are at the same place now. We are at number nine. So again, Zverev yeah. has moved down. So we've got one last guy. I'll go first for number nine. Um, this is a guy coming into the season. In terms of my personal tiers, I had, you know, not surprisingly high, but when I did it with Ben Rothenberg, it was surprising to me that we were both as high on this player's upside as we were. We had him in that second category of players, maybe a little bit below Zverev, Tsitsipas, and FAA. And that's Riley Opelka, who has really been phenomenal in 2019. He is my number nine player. What say you, Maxi? Yeah, he's my number nine. This is, see... I knew this was going to end up, even when we hide the list. I mean, you, you just I know. can't die. Here's the thing. The ATP title, uh, you would say, you could argue, oh, why don't you have him above her catch? And if you go by eight, you know the, the total points they've accumulated, Opelka a little bit higher than her catch. He's 41 overall, 735 points. Opelka 37 overall, 798. Those Opelka numbers actually a little bit above Tiafo. So you could make the case he's right. as high as number seven on this list. The thing I don't like about it, eight first-round or qualifying losses. Yes, second-round right. Australian Open, and he beat Isner. Third-round Wimbledon, and I believe he beat Wawrinka. Uh, but there are just times, you know, that New York Open title, great, beats Isner, but not the toughest of draws. But I just, I don't know. There's a lot of inconsistency, a lot of vacillation. I just... I like the jump he's made, but I I can't and I don't like it I guess enough to seventeen and fourteen on the year to put him above Tiafo and her no. catch because I I expected this from Riley, right? Not the uh, title, but th- this level of play. Yeah, and look, his jump from essentially a hundred in the world to where he's at now at fifty seven is is a nice jump, uh, and like you said, it's it's nothing spectacular. But I think the thing that uh, is you know, just the most promising about Opelka this year is that he's slowly making the improvement that I think we've mm-hmm. wanted to see, being able to develop points a little bit longer. And I think we saw a lot of slapping from him early on in his career, felt like he had to be, you know, the seven footer who hits a, a, you know, big serve, big forehand, you know, the one and one. Uh, he, I think he's learning that he has enough athleticism to play out some points and, and, you know, try and develop it a little more. And, and I think that we've seen that. I don't think he would have beaten a Vavrinka at Wimbledon without a little bit of that. I don't think he, you know, would have beaten uh, you know, guys like uh, Cranio Busta and, uh, uh, you know, having great matches against guys like Monfils and team. You know, his match against team at uh, Madrid was, was great. Obviously, he had to retire, which is a bummer, but he's showing that promise, and I think we always knew that it might take a little bit longer for someone like him compared to a Fritz or a Tiafo who, uh, you know, have the weapons to stay, you know, on the baseline a little bit longer than him. Uh, so I think for 
for that reason, it's really impressive that he's where he's at today. Uh, and But yes, which is why he's below the, the Tiafo and Fritz. So two final things on Opelka because I've talked a ton about him in 2019. Number one, I just go through the stats again, number 100 at the beginning of the year now, number 57, 17 and 14 overall, won that title at the New York Open, second round Australian, third round Wimbledon, first round French, but he's in the main draw now of all of these tournaments. Made the third round of Miami, second round of Madrid, uh, but other than that, not a lot of success at the Masters events. But the big thing for me, if we may do this list at the end of the season, and he's going to take a huge jump because you forget he got to number 100 at last year by winning a couple of challengers to end the season, but he didn't play the entire summer hardcore season because he had mono. So he was out. So there's a chance right. now for him not only to get into bigger events, but to accumulate points without having to defend anything. And for a guy displaying the level he has, that's going to be a huge opportunity now. Again, why I have him a little bit lower, because there are moments uh, you see it against Polmans or Dimenauer or Fabiano this year, Mayer, where it just starts to spray a little bit, where he just loses the thread, it feels like. And for a guy who we continue to say, with his frame, his build, he continues to get better and better on the serve, better and better at the net. His ground strokes, you could argue, fundamentally already better than John Isner's. You know, the ceiling is the roof, literally, because when he holds serves, he beats Stan Wawrinka. And it's just, he's right. going to be capable of things like that. It's just a matter of can he do it week in, week out. Right, and, and I think that's something we, you know, are still trying to see in him. Um, but all right, with that being said, check out our podcast. Again, the mini break, crack interviews, uh, what to do. So like, rate, subscribe, review. We want to hear from you. What's your next gem list? Who do you think wins these uh, supplemental competitions? Let us know. We would love to hear it. Uh, obviously, check out the website, crackrackets.com, social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You know the works by now. As always, a shout-out to our super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff, who do have a f- of an editing job to do. Of course, we're about to give them an hour 50 of podcast to edit, and we always appreciate them. Particularly thinking about you today, Max Fligner, as you've been with us from the beginning. 100 episodes strong. Again, not too bad. But with that being said, any final thoughts, Rothman? It's been far too long since we've done this, and it is an absolute just throwback and pleasure and, and all I'm, of the above. I'm not saying every week, but once a month, we, you and I need to lock into a GSP. Yes, we will. Let's commit to yeah. that. I'm totally down. Well, then, with that being said, for my incredible co-host, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman, again, no one I'd rather do 100 episodes with, for my, our, my, our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maxie, what do we tell the listeners? Hey, great shot. Oh, what an episode, Maxie. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoy, and we will see you next time.